Peace be to you. In the Cabo Marino. Let us begin with the question. But let's get let's get to it. So, welcome to Curiously Catholic, this, uh, an Evangelion production. Um, in this podcast, we're going to be picking the brains of Catholic enthusiasts to try and get to the bottom of how to truly live, live as a Catholic in contemporary times. My name is Dominic Malgeri, and in this podcast, we have Father Matt Crawford. How are you, Father Matt? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for thanks for making the time for us. So. Um, as we always, as we do with every Curiously Catholic uh, episode, we start off by getting to know you a bit more. So, uh, how did you get to the place you were? Are you, were you uh, a cradle Catholic? Were you a convert? Please tell us some. Um, I suppose you could almost call me both, actually. Um, I am a cradle Catholic. Uh, my parents were Catholic. I was an altar boy, went to Catholic schools. Um, when I was in secondary school up in Whangarei, I'm from, originally from Whangarei in New Zealand, um, I went to secondary school there, and I was never, um, what would you call it, I was never lost my faith. I was never angry at the church and left the church per se. I just had better things to do, as uh, most teenage teenagers are these days. Yeah. You know, you said, it's not that I was opposed or anything. It's just, yeah, I preferred uh, playing sport and hanging out with my mates and having a yeah. girlfriend and all that sort of stuff. So that was fine uh, until high school. Then I went to university uh, in Waikato um, and I studied a Bachelor of Business Management. Um, and it was there that that I sort of drifted much further away from my faith, I suppose, just from the lifestyle that I led. I was more into the partying, um, got involved in sort of drugs and that sort of stuff. Um, and again, I was never... I was always kind of a cradle Catholic. I was always a cultural Catholic, maybe is a better way to put it. I'd always sort of defend the church against people who I thought were attacking it, but I wasn't in any way or shape living it. Um, and then by the time I got to the end of my time at university, not only I, I'd become a little bit uncomfortable about the sort of person I was or had become, um, I was living a very hedonistic life. Um, and... And I'd become, it, 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 well, I wasn't happy. I wasn't mm-hmm. happy. So I sort of took a couple of very tiny, tiny steps back towards my faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I asked my mother to send me a rosary bead. Well, she almost fell off her chair. <laughs> um, and that, that rosary bead turned up a couple of days. It didn't take very long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She told me I had to go and get it blessed by a priest. So I went to Mass and sort of sat at the back and waited for the priest to come out and asked him to bless it. And he said yes. And then I and then he tried to talk to me and I literally just ran away. I just said, ah. oh, I can't walk and ran. <laughs> so that was okay. Um, and then I uh, and then I went and lived in Japan um, for about six months. And it was during that time that I was that I'd really sort of started to open up to God in, in some quite sort of profound ways. I lived next to a, a woman who, was, who I became friends with, and she was a Buddhist, American woman, and, um, and we just had great conversations about religion and life and stuff. And I was very, you know, I wasn't banging on about the Catholic Church or anything. It was just more um, just discussions and that sort of thing. That was good. But I, had a, I started to pray a little bit. I started to try to read the Bible. I started from page one. And it's oh. for anyone out there, that is not a good way to start trying to read the Bible. I got to about page 
120 and sort of stop. <laughs> um, but I was praying and I had a couple of experiences in Japan that just, they, I, they knocked me sideways. I, mm. I was very sort of, I had this experience of standing in a railway station waiting for my friend to turn up and it was a small, I was, I was living in Tokyo. Tokyo is a massive city and there's a lot of people. And I was standing in this little train station waiting for my friend to turn up and this this um, homeless man sort of wandered up to the, the stalls or the place where you put your ticket in. He kind of just walked through there and he had a bag of stuff and he was all hunched over and he, and he was kind of hugging the wall as the train came in and all the people came walking down the, the steps towards him. And they all just went around him like like that. And he, he just sort of hugged the steps and hugged the wall and sort of stayed there as, as this thousands of people just came charging down. Everybody completely ignored him. Mm. Now, for whatever reason, I'll call it the Holy Spirit, um, I just ha- could not get this idea out of my head that that man was Jesus and everyone was ignoring him. Everyone. Oh, wow. They had their own little worries and their own life and everything. And they were just, and I was really, I was just like in a, almost in a dream sort of thing where I was just staring at this guy going, wow, that guy looks Jesus. But I knew he wasn't Jesus, but somehow <laughs> this idea that couldn't get out of my head. And so just as I was, I was literally going to go up and and go through the stalls, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I, I was not sure I was going to give him some money or just say hello or do something. I was just about to do it. And this person came up to me, and this does not happen in Japan. It happens in London and other big cities, but does not happen in Tokyo. person came up to me and just handed me this this magazine. And I was like, and I sort of opened, I was kind of, what's going on here? And I opened up the magazine. She just smiled at me and walked away. I opened up the magazine, and there the first thing I read was, God is love. And then there was this, this um, uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I was just sort of, what the, what the, and then my friend turned up. All right. Hey, what are we going for dinner? Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> and wow. I had another experience as well that were very, very powerful that, that really rocked me, actually. Mm. And I was like, whoa. So, I've, okay, so now I'm in a situation where I really need to follow through with this. Yeah. Um, and so I went and lived in London and proceeded to not follow through, proceeded right. to live back with all my mates from university and proceeded to get back into the party life, get back into the drug life, mm. all that sort of stuff. But now I was much worse because I was aware that I was that I was sort of throwing away that experience in Japan. Right. And so I was quite sort of – and I for a while I – I tugged and like for a while I went to an alpha course in London. Um, mm. I was kind of still went to church a few times, but I was also living this other life as well. So I was kind of, I was getting split. Mm. Eventually I just, after I just, you know, we're talking months and months. I just sort of left. I couldn't be bothered anymore. I was tired with God. I just couldn't be bothered. So I oh. kind of, but I felt terrible about it too. It gnawed oh. away at me. Um, but that's, a, that's, that's, that's what I did. Um, I lived that, for a couple of years over in London and lived in Edinburgh for a while. Then I came back to New Zealand and I was going to go, I got a visa for Canada. I didn't like the idea of staying in New Zealand. I was, oh, I just was un, very unsettled. I was very unhappy. That's right. When I was came back from the UK, I stopped in South Africa for about six weeks. And, um, and I was, I'll look back at that time. Very, there was an, I was with one of my best mates and we were traveling around together and he's the most, cool sort of laid back kind of guy and I got really really angry with him two or three times over not much and I remember looking at the time sort of 
a little bit after that, sort of reflecting on how angry I was. You know, I'm not an angry person, but man, I was, I wasn't in a good space. Yeah. And I got back to New Zealand and I sort of applied for a visa for Canada, but I had, and I got it, but I had to wait for a year. Mm-hmm. So I got a job in Wellington, didn't really know anyone in Wellington, uh, sort of got moved into a flat. And the very first day that I was in this flat, I walked past this Anglican church and it had this Alpha course running. And it started the next night. And I was like, oh, oh really? <laughs> so I, I very reluctantly went along. Um, it was okay. But the thing, the one, that, that Alpha course, what that got me doing was got me onto some books. So I started reading um, C.S. Lewis. I started reading, um, that led me to G.K. Chesterton. And I started reading uh, The Confessions of St. Augustine. Although, to be fair, I'd started The Confessions in Japan. Um, didn't understand them at all in Japan, but started reading those books and Thomas Merton as well. Right, yeah. And and it was during that time I was doing a lot of reading. I, I wasn't with my mates, so I wasn't living the party life or anything, you know. And I started going back to church again, and I started going to church on a weekday, like because I was working in the city and I found St Mary the Angels, beautiful church in the middle of Wellington. Oh and I went yeah. There yeah. Day and I noticed that mass was going on, so I was like, oh. Okay, so I sat down. Of course, 25 minutes is no problem. I have an hour for lunch. I don't need an hour to eat my lunch. So it just became very, it became the sort of centre of my day. And I used to really look forward to it. Mm. And in fact, I, I remember catching myself <laughs> looking forward to it and thinking, that's a bit odd. <laughs> um, but I, I went along there and that was really good. And I remember one experience there where um, I was going up to communion. I was probably just distracted. And as I was walking out of the pew, I just got this, you know, the, there's the odd, God doesn't speak to me directly very often, but there's been the odd occasion. And I got this sort of um, just this truth. Like it's not the voice of God. It's more like a truth is just planted on you and that's it. And you know it's true. And it just, and you know, it didn't come from you. And so the truth was you're not worthy to receive the Eucharist. Mm. And at the same time as that was pointed out to me, it, the, the invitation said, come. So you're unworthy, but come anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did, but I was very sort of shaking as I as I as I picked up the Eucharist. I was quite sort of it was a really powerful moment. So all that was going on, um, and then um, my sister rang me up one time. My sister is the only other person in my family who's probably the most religious. Um, my other sisters and brothers are they're okay, but they're not they're not hugely church going. Um, my older sister rang me up and she sort of said, look, I keep having this um, word of knowledge, which I didn't even know what that, I don't know what that means. I was like, what does that mean? Um, anyway, she got this word of knowledge and she said, you're probably going to laugh and you think I'm an idiot, and but I have to tell you because I keep getting it when I pray about you. And I was like, okay, what is it? And she said, um, have you ever thought about being a priest? And I was like, no, 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 no. I want to get married and blah, blah, blah. But when she said it, there was something about it that just kind of, there was something, just something about that whole thing that just almost like a little jolt of electricity went through me. I didn't, at the time, when I was in bed that night, I didn't think that I wanted to be a priest, but there was something about it. So anyway, the next day I was at my at my desk and I was um, uh, looking up, I was supposed to be working <laughs> for the yeah. Wellington Regional Council. Instead, I was looking up um, priesthood and vocation and celibacy, which is a big thing. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and as I was sitting there and reading about celibacy in the sense that you know, it's there to, to, to make you sort of available to others or to love in a different way than, than loving um, 
uh, one person. It's, it's to help make you be available to love mm. more than one person in a, in a different sort of way, but you still love and you still have intimacy and you, and you still give of yourself, but not in the same way. So I was, I was reading all this stuff and I just, um, I don't know how to describe it. Um, it, 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 I just suddenly, I don't know, you call it bolt of lightning, whatever you want to call it. I just felt God smiling at me. That's the best way I can do to describe it. That's nice. And, and sort of saying the word, well, not he didn't say anything, but that sense of finally. See, the, the thing that the thing that about that incident was that I suddenly realized that I've always known this. I, right. uh, it was not a surprise to me, yet it was. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it suddenly occurred to me that this makes complete sense of everything that's gone on in my life previously to that, which I won't go into around um, women and all sorts of other things, but but also just around even when I was a kid, just, I don't know, I just suddenly I thought, how have I not seen this before? And I suddenly realised that this, and it's just like a, 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 a you know hand fitting a glove, boom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I remember that very night I went out to uh, – my friend was driving the Kiwi Experience bus and she used to pop into Wellington once a month sort of thing driving through. So I'd always catch up with her for a beer. And so she was staying at the Backpackers, downtown Backpackers. And she said, oh, I'm in town, you know, come for a beer. I said, oh, yeah. So I went down there and, and was sitting there having a beer. And I'm just – I hadn't talked to anyone. I was just <laughs> blown away by the whole situation. And I'd been, I was with her for about five minutes and she just said to me, what is going on with you? And I was like, nothing, 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 nothing's going on. And she said, yeah. there's something going on. She said, are you in love? <laughs> and I, was, I desperately, desperately tried not to tell her because I thought, I can't tell anyone about this. This is just some crazy idea. I haven't talked to anyone. They would never accept me anyway, the life I've led and all those different things, you know. And, and she just kept pushing. So eventually I just said, I think I might want to become a priest and she knew me from years ago and she just laughed and said whatever you know you can't become a priest and, and I said yeah of course of course I can't and I and I and I started listing the reasons why I couldn't you know like oh they'll never accept me I'll probably last six months and then I hate it and I was and as I was as I was listing the reasons why it wasn't going to happen in my head I was like I am so doing this sick I, I just knew. I absolutely knew. And I haven't – that's been the case. So uh, that was – that was. I entered the seminary in 2002, the Marist Seminary. So I'm a Marist priest. Um, oh, right. So that's why I, I work at um, St. Patrick's College in Wellington. Right. I'm a full-time teacher. I'm the Director of Religious Studies at St. Pat's. Oh, wow. Um, and so, yeah, so I um, entered the seminary in 2002 and got ordained in 2010 on the very on the day of the first Christchurch earthquake. Oh, wow. What that says, but um, <laughs> yeah. um, so I've been ordained uh, just over ten years, and oh, Maris and worked in schools that whole time. I worked with I worked at St Pat's for three years. Then I went up to Hatapalda and worked sort of did a little bit of teaching and a little bit of um, chaplaincy at Hatapalda, just out of fielding and St Peter's and Palmerston North, while also working a little bit in the parish of Our Lady of Lourdes. That was for two years, and then I came back to St Pat's in two thousand and. 16 and have been there since then. Oh, wow, man, that's a whirlwind. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. Short <laughs> vision. Yeah, I think we're definitely going to have to uh, have you back on and we can we can pull that apart and do a full session because, uh, yeah, I mean, there's just so much content in there. I think it's really cool how, like, it was super relatable at the beginning. You were just saying, like, oh, yeah, 
I was brought up Catholic, but I, I don't really do it. I mean, I've met some people, so many people like that. And then you have that reversion later in life. But like, it's such a great, um, like testimony to the, um, the persistency of God, you know, uh, he's just always like, um, knocking on that door, waiting for you to open it. So yeah, there was lot, there was lots of little experiences along that line as well, where they just mm. keep going, just keep going. Yeah. And even after, the thing for me was that even after I'd he'd given me those experiences and I'd started on that track in Japan, and then I'd, you know, really, you know, what I did in London. When I look back at it, you know, I just it took me a while to sort of say no to God. I kept trying mm. to have I kept trying to have it both both ends, you know, and you can't. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, um, and so yeah, I I. I said no to God in a sense, you know, but he didn't, he didn't take no for an answer. <laughs> yeah. Because well, uh, in Easter, this Easter, it's going to be 10 years that I've been a Catholic. So that's pretty exciting. But like, um, yeah, I can, my, my testimony's grown as I've been become more reflective. It's like, I look yeah. back and like, so it's so like, when did you, uh, like, when did you first experience God? And I was like, well, that's the question, isn't it? Because I, I can remember things when I was like, maybe 10 years old i remember having an amazing experience then and time when i was in secondary school and this and that the other but i didn't actually you know whereas i had been baptized i'd never connect i never believed in god you know yeah yeah. that's i reckon that's very interesting the whole idea that you have been baptized but never believed in god there's a great one of my favorite catholic authors um who's she's now become a um comedian a stand-up comedian jennifer fullweiler in america oh yeah i know of her written a great book you know something anything other than god or, or something like that anyway and um and she talks about that whole sort of thing of of you know when she was in the middle of a sort of this conversion experience her mother just casually told her um oh you know you were baptized right yeah yeah well it's it similar to me yeah yeah it was similar for me uh because being in england it's kind of like you've got that kind of everything's just christian because of the history uh, it's less like that nowadays, but in, in my generation, there was still like a kind of a Christian values around. Mm. And um, yeah, so it was never a question of if you've been baptized. Of course, you you know, that's what you do. You have to get baptized. Mm. And so I actually, really cool, uh, just last week or the week before, my dad sent me my a bunch of documents he had. He must have been cleaning out his office or something. Uh, and I got my baptismal certificate, which I never knew I had. And I was actually baptized in Plantation, Florida, in an Episcopal church. And so I got, I, I got, I've been baptized twice because because I didn't have that document. The second was a conditional baptism. So you know, so that's pretty, that's pretty fun. Uh, I I say you know I needed I needed the second one uh, just to make yeah. sure. But um, yeah, it's like yeah, there's there was all that always that you know, Christianity that was, that was within me. Cause like, you know, I say I didn't believe in God, but I mean, I guess I didn't not believe in God. Like if I was going to, I was an atheist. I was like agnostic at best. It's like, I always knew there was something more to life, but I just didn't have a, I didn't have the vocabulary or the experience for it. That, that's that, there's, so many <coughs> my, there's so many of my students like that. Mm. Who, they're not opposed. They don't, they don't regard themselves as atheists at all. They just. Yeah. They're just teenagers, absolutely yeah. useless. No joking. Yeah. <laughs> so my, my my big thing with that is is I don't. You, you got to. I mean, I have made the mistake a couple of times, but you don't. I don't ever try to convince someone of mm. that. I try to. I try hard to remove obstacles. 
yeah, yeah. Key intellectual obstacles that are there. Yeah. And at the same time, giving them an experience of um, uh, Catholicism that is engaging and open and, and open to questions and, and all that sort of stuff. And then that, hopefully they leave school with a sense of enjoying RE and enjoying the discussions. And then when they're older, they will reflect back and say, actually, that was that was quite good, you know, mm. and, the way and that then so you kind of clear the path a little bit for maybe the Holy Spirit to do some work, you know? Yeah, well, because, I mean, that was definitely the case for me. It's like one of the things that made it easier to say yes is to realize, actually, I, I have always enjoyed RE and I had, like, some teachers that really stuck out and some moments where a teacher just kind of spoke to me personally and we could have a chat about something. I was like, oh, my gosh, I just shared an opinion and an experience and like there was an actual discussion there so it's like real value in that but that kind of brings us on to um the topic of tonight we're going to talk to you father matt crawford about how to evangelize the whole of new zealand in one (laughs) six-step program uh um you gave a talk at hearts of flame on evangelism and evangelizing the culture and Evangelion is the name of uh, the apostolate that Curious Catholic is tied to, is tied to, and I guess I feel like most people have the the slogans, the uh, the ideas, uh, but like I like I like to get to grips with it. It's like okay, practically, what does that look like? Because like our uh, our slogan for Evangelion is sharing the truth and love. It's like that's a pretty good way to start. So I'll just go and do that then, you know. So so but where, so what does that look like? And um, yeah, so um, you were saying about how you how you talk to your students. You know, is that how you go about ev- evangelism? Yes. Uh, just going, just going back to that, I just have a little. Um, I was up. I was when I was up in Whangarei recently because I go up there for my Christmas, and I, I was playing golf with um, a couple of priests. One of the guys who I used to live with in Our Lady of Lewis, who's now the parish priest in Whangarei. And he was just—we just finished our game of golf, and we were sitting there having a beer and filling out the golf form. And and um, and he said to me, "Oh, you you going to Hearts of Flame?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I'm going down there in a couple of days' time or something." And he said, oh, "What are you what are you talking about?" And I said, "Oh, um, I'm doing a, some three talk three talks on evangelizing the culture." And he he said, "Oh, you're an expert on that, are you?" <laughs> <laughs> I just laughed and said, "No, I'm not an expert. I don't know. Yeah. Years, what, what, what am I doing?" <laughs> but um. <laughs> So my one of the things that I said in my in my talks um, was was basically like it should be easier, you know. Like if you look at the catechism, what it says about why we were created and we're created mm. to love, know, know God and serve Him and be happy with Him in eternity. Surely it should be easier <laughs> to yeah. um, you know share our experience of all that sort of thing. But there are obstacles. Yeah. There are a number of um, obstacles that get in our way. One is the devil. There's an enemy out there who doesn't want us uh, to evangelize and doesn't want us to grow closer to God and lots sort of stuff. So we have to be aware of that. No, I don't want to go on about that too much, but but it is it is a thing. It's it is real. Um, the other one, of course, is sin. That that, from my mind, is, is something that that you know when you're when you're kind of in a, in sin, it's it, it's quite hard to you get your uh, you know the dirty windscreen. Mm. Right, like, like swim. So the dirty goggle, you get the dirty goggles, you know, and then you can't see quite clearly, so you can't hear clearly either. Mm. Um, so that's um, and that and that's that's sort of um, personal sin and social sin. Like uh, recently, I was listening to some podcasts on um, 
they're called American Scandal, and it was all about um, all these sort of scandals in government and and um, business and all that sort of stuff and how they unfolded and all. And one of them was the Exxon Valdez, which was a big oil spill up there, and just the the complicated nature of it and the and the way that these corp, corporate corporate guys or corporate people tried to not so much cover it up but sort of tried to cover it up and tried to you know and it just became this whole mess and and all these fishermen got completely you know just nailed over years and years and years and stuff and it just and there's no one to you can't point at one person so it's that person's fault you know it's that person's yeah. fault it's just this system mm. somehow so that, that's a big part of the sin as well it's not just people's personal sin it's also this sinful structures or social sin or what do you want to call it mm. that that it really works against us in, in many ways. Um, so yeah, those are some some yeah. issues that, that work against us. But the other the other issues that that work against us, I think, uh, there's philosophical issues. Um, our understanding of truth, our understanding of freedom, and our understanding of love. Mm. In our modern culture, we have got misunderstanding of those three things, and and it's not even like people are. Well, some people are, but the majority of people, they have these as assumptions. It's not like they sit there and think deeply about them. It's just they assume them. So one of the assumptions they have is that, is that you don't, you can't really talk about the truth. There is no truth. It's just my opinion and your opinion. And, and, and there is also an assumption that if you do start proclaiming some sort of truth, you're committing the sin of arrogance. You know, you're arrogant. How dare you claim that? Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. But there's such there's such a philosophical incoherence there, because if you try, if someone tries to say that there is no absolute truth, you know they might say there's small truths, but if someone tries to say there's no absolute truth, okay, there's just our truth and your truth. You might believe this, but I believe something different, and we yeah. both, you know, blah blah blah. But if you write on a on a board, no absolute truth, and then you circle it, and you say, is that true? Yeah. There's Relative. no absolute truth except this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're not, they're not, they're, it's, it's incoherent, but but people, most people don't care. Yeah. yeah they don't yeah. care about the incoherence. They just want the, they want the ability to say, what I believe is what I believe, what you believe is what you believe, and so therefore we can all live happily ever after. But, but it's, it's actually really, um, it's basically, as soon as you say that, you've lost the ability to have a discussion about anything. And in fact, yeah. The people, the people who say that never really believe it. Mm. They don't live it anyway. They don't actually live like that. Okay? Because if someone robs their house, yeah. let me tell you something, the truth matters then. Yeah. Yeah. So it's only when it's only it's only at a philosophical level and it's only just so they can get out of the whole the whole issue of actually having a discussion around this stuff. So that's that's one issue that the church has struggles with because people don't want to hear someone claiming that they, you know, have some sort of truth. The ultimate truth claim, and, yeah, and yeah. does have some ultimate truth claims. The other one is the understanding of uh, freedom. People think that uh, freedom is just the freedom to do whatever you want to do, the freedom of choice. Yeah, that's freedom is freedom to choose. But if you just live that as an absolute, you'll end up as a slave, a slave to your desire, a slave to whatever thing that, that addicts you, or you know, just doing whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it is no. There's no path to um, a good life, and it's not true freedom. True freedom is the freedom to choose the good. So where you where you where you tell the truth, 
or you help someone, help your neighbour out, or you um, go and work, go and volunteer at a at a tree planting thing, or you just do good things for people, and you do it effortlessly. It doesn't. You don't have to fight yourself to do it. Now I'm not at that point because that's yeah. generally what's like. <laughs> but but that's the that's <coughs> the true nature of freedom. And then the true nature of love, of course, people have this idea of love. That's you know to how you feel and, and all that sort of stuff, and that's important. Feelings are important in love. But the true nature of love is caring more about the other than you do about yourself. Mm. Not only that, but acting in a loving way. So you act lovingly for people. And that's how you can love someone you don't actually like. Right, yeah. You might not like someone. They annoy you. They just, they just rub you up the wrong way, man. It's just, mm. yeah. But you still um, make them a cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say something nice about them to someone else, you know, or just whatever, you, or, you, or you refuse to say something nasty about them, you know. Those little acts, mm. that's, that's love, you know, you're, you're loving. Now, so all of those, those three things, freedom or truth, freedom and love, when you explain them to most people, they actually kind of agree with you. And they, but if, if you can get them to think along those lines, you know, getting rid of some of that those misunderstandings, that, that, those misconceptions, those those assumptions that they didn't even realise that they had. If you can talk about that just casually and over and over again, it just clears the ground, right? I think, for the proclamation, it's almost like I'm pre-evangelising. You, my my sort of thing is, it's so hard for us in our society to come at people and say, "Look, you need to believe in Jesus." You know, he's gonna he's he's got the answer to your problems and he's gonna save you because people just think. Of who that suffered for, whatever, go away. Yeah. So you somehow need that. You can't come at it like that way. You've got yes. to come at it in a different. Like you've got to. I, I my, my thing is you've got to clear the ground a little bit. You've got to get rid of some of those obstacles that people don't even realise are there. <laughs> but you clear some of those obstacles away, and then people are just just. And the other, the biggest thing for me is you do not try to convince someone of the truth of what you're claiming. Right. It's, it's, yeah. That's hard to do. Like you do, you sort of make your argument, and then you listen to their argument. Oh, yeah, well, okay, that's that makes sense, I suppose. If I if that happened there, then I suppose you'd believe that. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, okay. And you sort of and you're in a discussion. Yeah. And then then you, what you're doing is you're clearing the game because I actually think this is my personal thing. I think we're kind of a bit stuffed really when it comes to evangelizing. I think we have to leave it to God. I think God's got to do it. So I feel that it's my job if I can just clear away some of that stuff. I can let God do the work. Right, God's to do the work because there's all this, all these obstacles in the way that their culture has kind of put there. Sometimes deliberately, sometimes just by accident. Um, and if we can sort of clear some of that ground away, mm. then God's got more space to work somehow. No, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, because I guess the question is like that was coming to my mind whilst you're talking about that was like, okay, yeah, I understand. Again, that conception is like um, I've got to present the truth in a compelling way i've got to present like love and i've got to present uh, freedom in these in these ways but it's like how do i get to that conversation because mm. <laughs> you know you don't just walk in and say have you ever thought about uh, what tr- freedom really is um or truth or like you know i've tried that and you don't get a great response um so i mean i think um and also like when you were talking about especially freedom um it sounded like it's like oh man living that life though it it sounds like it's so you have to be a saint almost in order to so become a saint then start talking to people about freedom kind of thing and like it just seems so unattainable 
Yeah. No, I don't. I don't. I don't. Um, no, because I don't think you need to be sane at all to, to talk like that way. Because I think we do experience little bits of it. Mm. So that just that experience of, you know, it's, it's why you go, you know, at Lent or you know, or doing um, um, what's that thing that people are doing at the moment? Exodus ninety or yeah, I'm um, uh, thirty five days right. in at the moment. Yeah. Oh, right. So all those quite hard out sort of um, you know practices, ascetical practices. Mm. You know, they have an end goal. And the end goal is to sort of is to free you up a little bit mm. from just doing whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. Yeah. Because if you yeah. sort of the more you do that, the more you do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it, the you know the more the easier it is to keep doing that. Whereas when you do in little ways, I won't do that now. I won't. Um, I won't uh, say no to that to go and visit that person so I can go and watch my Netflix show or right. I um, I will say no to going out with my mates at the pub in order to go and um, do something with someone I know who's struggling or, or just mm. all those little aspects. If you, The more you do that, just honestly, it's inch by inch. The more you do it, the easier it is to do the next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, and, and, and it works the other way too. So, so the, the, the more you say you know, no to love or the more you say, the more you say yes to doing whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, the easier it becomes and the harder yeah. it becomes to go the other way. So you don't have to be a saint. And, and, you know, I said to you before about, you know, doing it effortlessly. That's the goal. Yeah. yeah That's yeah. where that's, but most of us aren't at that point, but we do know the process. We do understand the process. And so I think that there are a lot of people out there in, in our society who are addicted in a multitude of different ways. Oh addicted yeah. Addicted to alcohol, addicted to drugs, addicted to um, addicted to um, gaming. Addicted. There's just a lot, a lot of addictions out there. There's a lot of anxiety out there. There's a lot of there's a lot of um, issues out there. Mm. And so, therefore, I don't think that's a bad place to start. Um, no, yeah, just yeah. That people do understand it. I mean, they do understand the principle. Yeah, it's, it's hard to understand. You don't have to be religious even to understand it. Um, but it, it just gives you a little entry point, you know. Um, but then, yeah. then the other one, the point becomes the the freedom for the good. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The freedom becomes well, what's the good? And yes, it's not freedom to, it's freedom for. That's right. And then, you, yeah. then when they ask the question, then you then you've got your entry point. Oh, yeah. well. <laughs> well, yeah, because like to well, just uh, to like maybe some of what you're kind of saying is in order to first, in order to evangelize. The culture or somebody that you're working with or like you know friends or family you first need to convert yourself reorient yourself to a way to god uh yes. maybe in a, in a way that like you know be like a mirror that reflects the sun you've got to turn towards the sun a bit so then it, it can shine off of you um so you, 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 is that kind of what, what you get yeah. at I think that's right and i, I also and, and if you want to talk about you talk about being practical like well, what does that look like what does mm. that mean I, I'll give you. I'll give you. I'll give you something. I think that means it means you listen, right? Okay. You listen. If you just listen to people, like, and, and a really good way of listening to someone, this is um, uh, just just something that I've learned over the years, is a really good way to listen to someone is to try to not ask questions. Okay. So when you when you when someone starts talking and telling you about things. Net, the natural thing, no, I mean, it's not a hard and fast rule. Sometimes questions are good. I mean, I'm not. Mm. Just just as a little a little thing in your mind to have in your mind is when someone starts talking about something, especially something that's a little bit personal, just a little bit opening up a little bit, the natural 
reaction of us is to ask a question because we want to show that we're interested. Right. So it's a perfectly natural and good um, motivation. Like it's a natural thing to do. But actually, sometimes it knocks people off what they were actually going to say. Right. I see what you mean. Yeah. So it's, a harder th- it's, a, it's a much harder thing to do. But if you can actually <coughs> listen to what they're saying and perhaps you just reflect back a little bit what they were saying, oh, so he said you didn't want to go or you sort of repeat back a little bit what they were saying, but you're, you're fully listening. It's not a technique. You're just, you're fully listening to them. Mm. You're not, because often you're, often the questions are, we want to know something. Yeah. Yeah. So you're just thinking about that the whole time they're talking. Mm. So instead, listen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what they are saying, really listen and try to pick up on something that they're saying, Oh, can I go back to what you were saying before you mentioned da, 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 da. How, why is that? The case you think of, and obviously mm. there's a question, but but you're you're just yeah. really listening to them. If you really listen to people, <laughs> they will notice. Yeah, so it's it's more like listening for understanding rather than listening to uh, interview. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then yeah, yeah, then you're asking. So it's rather than like halfway through, say, wait a minute, what time was it? You know, yeah. it's like, um, I I don't know. <laughs> was this a Saturday? Why, why, did, why did she say that? Or or but why did you think that? Oh well, because and then see, you knocked them off their trajectory. Yeah, they were on a trajectory going somewhere, and you've knocked them off with your question. Yeah, I've noticed that a lot in myself. Like being like an extrovert, I'm very much like when I, I do a lot of talking. Uh, hence, making a podcast. This is my fourth, <laughs> my fourth one. Um, and like one thing I noticed is when I was talking to people, they'd say something which would trigger something in my head, and then it just comes straight out my mouth. It's all like it's like oh, I was this one time I went to Mexico. Mexico, I've been to Mexico. I went to Cancun. Cancun's great. I went to this and this. Actually, was out of fridge. And like all of a sudden, it's become about me. And it's no longer about them. And like after noticing it in myself, I think I did. I started like, like trying to draw it back. I was like, oh my gosh, everyone does this. <laughs> you know, I wasn't alone. Um, yeah, right. It's very common. Whereas, so if you don't do it. People will notice, and then people, and then people are much more. So when, when, then you then you build a relationship, and then mm. you build a relationship, and they're far more likely to take what you say seriously. Yeah, you think about it, and and maybe they won't agree with you straight away, and that's okay. You just you're just throwing it out there, and you and you're making, and then they see the way you live, and da da da, da and the next thing you know, they're asking some questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because another principle that I've kind of developed when um, looking at evangelism is. Um, live a life that's both confusing and attractive. So mm. it's like, uh, if it's just confusing, people will kind of run away from you. But like, yeah. it's also, if it's also attractive, then they're kind of like, okay, this guy's, he's not completely weird, but what is he doing? And then they, when they ask a question, you know, you can't answer something that hasn't been asked, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's a good question. You can't answer something that hasn't been asked. Yeah. Yeah. So, cause I, and this kind of brings me onto this idea of, Apologetics, especially when you were talking about like uh, the, the philosophies and like, I feel like myself. I'm not really a reader. I have done a lot of reading in the the last uh, few years, but like, it's not my natural inclination. I'm, I'm dyslexic and ADHD, so just anything shiny just takes my attention. Um, and so, when I hear apologetics, I think, oh. I've got to go and read like some Vatican documents or something, right? And then I've got to know them and be able to re- regurgitate them at a moment's notice. Because, and I've noticed that often, like with theology and philosophy, it's um, you see people kind of just like dropping bombs and saying, "Oh yeah," he's like, "Oh, that's relativism. See you later," <laughs> you know? 
you know, or like they mentioned some big um, yeah. words that I don't know the meaning of. Um, I, have, I have to say, I'm not a, I'm not a, I sort of, I like apologetics and I don't like, I, I think apologetics are useful for answering questions. Mm. But they're not very good if the questions haven't been asked. Yes. Because yes. Like, sometimes apologetics can be about, you know, hammering things and, yeah. and and I think you need to. I think you need to. It's like you know, Saint Peter said, always have the, always be willing to give a reason for the hope you have within you. You know, like there is apologetics is good for for people who genuinely ask questions that you're trying to explain it to them. I think, I think that's good. But I also think there's nothing wrong in a, in a discussion where someone's asking asking questions about you know how is this possible? Why does you know this work and that not work? And yeah. how does the bread and wine truly become the body and blood of Christ? And you know, what about Adam and Eve and, and all sorts of different questions, you know? Um, so the ability to answer those questions is important, like at least having some answers to those questions because nothing worse than saying, oh, well, you know, I don't know. I just believe. People yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's not compelling. Um, so you need, you need to have some things at your fingertips and that's apologetics gives you those things and that's good. Mm. Um, but I don't like them as a kind of a hammering yeah. of It's just, it doesn't really... Work and my my thing is that you can only go so far with with so when you, if someone asks a genuine question and you're you know answering it and then they come back with a with a counterpoint so you try to answer that and then you get into this back and forth a little bit I'm always as soon as I get into that back and forth a little bit I start to think okay just hold on work just don't be afraid of pulling back a little bit and don't be afraid yeah. of saying I'm not really sure it's a good question yeah I have to think about that one um yeah. and and you'd be surprised at what people you'd be surprised at what people do when you say that. Yes. So, oh, okay. Yes. So well, yeah. kind of, you've just found them a little bit, you know. So, and that mm. can go a long way. To, I can assure you that if you find yourself in a back and forth with someone, even if it's in a good-natured sort of way, you are never going to convince them in that moment. Yes. You might sow a seed that they then chew on for three years, mm-hmm. but the seed often that 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 seed will be fruitful if you are in the way that you do it and the way that you sort of engage yeah. with them is allows that seed to be fruitful if you're trying to hammer them because you kind of naturally do it because you want to yeah. defend the faith and defend god and, yeah, and yeah. sometimes say provocative things and you're you know but you need to be yeah 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 it, not trying to win the argument yeah yeah because i it reminds me of a situation i was in once in a i was in a pub and my mate brings his friend along who is a, like he was an avid atheist and he was like, didn't like the idea of God at all. But, you know, he's happy to go for a beer with some people. <clears throat> and then we, we got talking about God because I was a Catholic chaplain at the time. So it's kind of like, you know, what do you do? As the old Kiwis ask. And I said, uh, I'm a Catholic chaplain. And it's like, all right, okay, let's go. Yeah. And start yeah. all, all the problem of evil and stuff like that. And again, I'm not, I can't regurgitate information. And so, like, he was obviously really well read on this topic. And I was like, I'm going to fail at this. Because, yeah. like... It, for me, there seems to be two uh, main types of knowledge. Is that there's knowledge that's been kind of learned from a book, and that's true and it's good, and there's nothing wrong with that. But then there's also that experiential knowledge yeah. that you can't necessarily articulate very well, but you know that it's true. And because my conversion was very much like that, you know, I um, I was at university uh, and uh, I got an opportunity to go to Rome. Long story short. I was in mass uh, back at university after this trip to Rome, and I was I was like, ah, oh, I'll, I'll I'll try I'll try praying, 
and then I just had this experience of God, and I was like, oh my gosh, that was God, and this is the Catholic Church, sign me up. And it's like, well, that's not going to convince anyone, is it? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, well, I experienced him, so you should too. Uh, and I suppose you can use, I you managed to use that in this situation with this guy in the pub. He's like, he was coming at me. He's like, yeah, well, what about natural disasters? And I was like, yeah, what about them? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. And so I was like, yeah, they're they're pretty bad, aren't they? Yeah, natural disasters are horrible. And then I just like, but this is what I've experienced about God in my life. And I just gave a bit of my testimony of like a time when I experienced God. And he just kind of like, it's like, oh, this guy's not debating me. And then we just, he just, he's like, oh yeah, well, what about this? I'm like, mm, yeah, that's pretty bad too. <laughs> I just agreed with him on everything. Um, but yeah, it's like, do you have any tips on how to maybe bring about that experiential knowledge in one of those situations or? I, I mean, I think what you said then is, is good. Like in the sense of you can disarm someone by just, you know, talking about your experience. Mm. Um, I think, I think it's good to, to, to be able to marry your experience with some knowledge as well, like some knowledge of, something that that's a really powerful thing to be able to do that but it's not so easy when someone someone brings up the old classic you know natural disasters the problem of evil and mm. Adam and Eve, or, you know they're sort of pretty tried and true sort of yeah <laughs> yeah um matchbox atheist type sort of arguments there's no real depth to them i mean they're, they're, they're real they're real um points don't get me wrong they're real points but my my, my well I tell you, my experience of arguing with people in pubs <laughs> is tends to be that there's two types of people. There's the person who's who's genuinely, as you say, a little bit confused, like a little bit perplexed. Who is this guy? What, what's going on here? He's he's a Catholic. He's a you know priest or whatever you know. And and so they're they're genuinely interested. They're not they're not in any way convinced, but they're genuinely interested in what you are. Why you think this? Mm. And they'll argue with you, but there's a, there's a genuine interest. And then there's the person who just wants to wail on someone, and they're so happy that they've found someone to wail on, and right. out they come with all their arguments. And those people, I, I just I say thanks. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm not going anywhere, and I'm not. All I'll do is waste. I'm just, I'm just, I'll just quietly back off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Taking a bath. That's my answer to the people. I always, I can always know the difference. I always yes. know the difference between someone who's who's genuinely interested. They might be arguing with me strongly, but they're genuinely interested in the person who I can I can see it on their face. Like, ooh. Yeah, I've yeah. Got, I've yeah. got this real life Catholic in front of me who I've been arguing with for two years with all my atheist friends and suddenly finally I've got someone in front of me. And yeah, it's yeah. gonna be all on. And so they're not interested in listening to me at all. They're interested in listening to their own arguments, which yeah, they yeah. think is so fantastically brilliant, and they've never actually there's a there's a story of of I think I've got the story right. Um, a Boston uh, philosophy lecturer, um, what's his name? He's written a number of books. Um, Peter Kreft. Oh yeah. Who um, who starts? Who I think he used to start his 101 religion course by saying, right, we're going to divide the class into um, believers and non-believers, or yeah, atheists. Believers and then agnostics in the middle, sort of thing. So they they separate out into into the different sections, and they say, right, we're going to have a debate. You've got half an hour to prepare your arguments. Choose your best three people. So the atheists against the atheists against the believers, and the agnostics will say who won the debate. Okay, so everyone like they pick their three best arguers, and then they spend half an hour coming out with their arguments, and then they. But the the the, the, the trick is, he says, atheists, you're going to argue for God's existence. 
All right. And believers, you're going to argue against God's existence. You're going to argue what you don't believe. So everyone, okay. So they rip into their arguments and they they spend half an hour preparing. Then they come down and they have the debate. And at the end of the debate, he asks the, the agnostics who won the debate. And he says, every time I've done this, every time without fail, everyone agrees that the believers who are arguing for atheism won the debate, hands down. Even the even the everyone agrees in the whole room, in fact. And then he asks a question: Why is that? And he lets the atheists, the real atheists, answer. And they say, oh, because we've got the best arguments. And all the believers who are arguing for atheism throw their hands up in frustration and say, no, we knew all your arguments. You didn't know any of ours. Ah, ah there you go. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, But I was going to say, you know, that you're talking about that um, the atheist you meet in the pub and he's like, finally, I've got a real-life Catholic. And, yeah. I think I've met a few Catholics who go, ooh, an atheist. <laughs> you know? No, no, absolutely. Well spotted, actually. It's definitely yeah. a very yeah, human response. Do, we spend too much time with people who who are in our little bubble or who agree with us too much, you know? So yeah. if you're constantly in little Catholic circles, then finally you come across an atheist, like, ooh, you, and yeah, away yeah. you go. Same with atheists, you know? So it's not good. It's, you know, it's you've got to be a little bit more... Yeah, well, Evangelion, uh, as a, the apostolate, came along at a time for me that was uh, quite a, uh, a shift because I went from uh, having been a chaplain in a Catholic chaplaincy, and before that I was a volunteer missionary in a Catholic retreat centre in London, and before that I was part of the Catholic uh, Society in a university. I went from yeah. that to um, starting a degree at Auckland University, and all of a sudden I was part of a cohort of just over a hundred people studying to be a nurse. And I don't know if any of these people believe in God. And if they do believe in God, are they Christian? And if they're Christian, do they like Catholics? You know, so I'm like, so, and like, I was like, okay, I'm going to take my faith seriously. We've been given a mission here, you know, go, go forth and make disciples of all nations, you know, mm-hmm. and definitely in Auckland, you have all the nations right there. And I was like, I was like, okay, I'm going to be hard on myself. He's like, God's given me this mission, and so if I leave this degree and people don't have a better understanding of God, that's kind of on me. Now, I've come to realize there are more Christians on the course than just me, so it's on them as well. But like I've had this realization. It's like, okay, so now I need to figure out how do I, how do I bring the gospel to these people? Um, and like how do I you know, make Catholicism comp- compelling? whilst learning science which you know as far as the culture teaches is is the opposite of religion and like i i don't believe in god because i i'm, I'm a science man you know <laughs> it's like ah oh, what do i do now and so i guess like do you have any tips like from that position of hypothetically you're the only catholic in a group of people and like taking that that that, that great commission seriously is like okay no one's asking me any questions because no one knows me yet. You know, I'm not friends with anyone yet, so I'm starting to build relationships. So where do I go from here? How do I, how, how do I bring the gospel to someone that doesn't even know we're about to have a conversation? <laughs> you know? yeah. Well, I suppose you start small. Mm-hmm. You know, like you wear a cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, your rosary bead or something, or you're, you're, maybe you're, when you're walking down the street from A to B, you, you're praying your rosary with your hand in your hand, just mm. you know. Um, you've got your little prayer book or something, which you might be 
doing at lunchtime, you know, for five minutes. You don't make a big deal of it. You just, you just, you know, you do your little prayers and just, just so let people know that who you are. And, mm. and um, you know, that's just starting small. That's just allowing people to see that you are who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's coming back to that, like work on yourself first. So don't 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 focus on what everyone else is doing. It's like, like how how is your relationship with God? You know, because um, one of the things that I've I've been trying, and I don't know if it's working, is like unashamedly talking about like what I do with my life. So um, you know, like you say, what what do you do on Sunday? And I was like, oh, what do you do this weekend? And I was like, I say I went to Saturday, and then on Saturday I say. So I could say I went to church, and everyone has a concept of church. Or I can say I went to mass, mm. and then I go like, oh, what, what does that mean? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I could just yeah. say it's like a church service, or I could say it's the coming together of heaven and earth. <laughs> and that's just kind of what I've been doing. And it's like it's like I'm dying on the inside every time someone asks me a question. Oh, no, that's but... awesome. Because awesome. <laughs> awesome. it's just that, I, I agree, that little difference between saying I go to, went to church or I went to mass <laughs> Is actually quite a because it's just a little bit people who don't know they go what mess what does that mean like yeah, you know, yeah, and that's, yeah. that's that's awesome I reckon that's yeah. good yeah. oh yeah <laughs> well maybe maybe me it's terrifying <laughs> yeah. so um, with all this evangelizing uh, the culture um, I guess you know going off that piece of scripture no man is an island um, do you have any tips for people that might find themselves in a workplace or a uh, it's like, how do we create uh, accountability maybe or what is the power of that in in this mission? Do you mean, when you say no man is an island, do you mean how do we create community for, for people yeah, who are... Yeah, that's a better way of putting it. Like, you know, because I, like I say, I was on this course and I'm like, okay, am I the only Catholic here? It's like, do I go around saying, uh, are, you, are you Catholic? Excuse me, could you come in? <laughs> Christian or Catholic? No, 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 that's okay. <laughs> yes. so, or like... I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise that, no. No. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I suppose we, we all have to have, you know, we all have to have a base from which we move from. So, I mean, you're talking about how do we create community that's then we move out from that community to, you mm. know, being out in the world a little bit more and, and doing that. Or are you talking about sort of how do I try and look for a, creating a community in the workplace that I'm in? Well, I suppose uh, that I mean that's the question. It's like, do do I say, okay, I'm here, so let's make a community here, or do I get my do I get my community from elsewhere? Yeah, I, I my my well, I'm a Marist priest. I mean, I'm a I'm a religious, so therefore my under, my understanding of community is that it's kind of your base. Mm. You know, it's your home base sort of thing. It's where you get, you know, you you get fed and you get um, you draw strength from. You draw, okay. you know, your, your faith life is is in, is is built up there. It's invigorated. It's it's challenged. It's you know wrestled with, and what, and that's where you get your kind of juice from, in a sense, which allows you to go out and and sort of and step outside your comfort zone and, and terrified, you know, saying I go to mass instead of a excuse me. Um, so that to my mind, community is is a little bit more. Um, yeah, just trying to create community out in your workplace or whatever, trying to create a little Christian community or something. I mean, that's possible, of course, and, and maybe God will open those doors and, and you can mm. actually do that. But my sense would be the, the better place is to have a community that you go back to where you are fed in the, in the faith and are nourished, mm. which gives strength to then move out into those areas which aren't, which aren't you know, need evangelizing or you're trying to sort of share the, the gospel with, you're trying to share the 
uh, your experience of God with other people out there who don't, who haven't had that experience. So that's, yeah, I sort of see that as two different things, you know? Right, I see. No, yeah, no, that's good. I mean, I think like one of the big takeaways I'm getting from this like conversation we're having is it is all, it starts at home. Evangelism starts like, you know, okay, um, what am I doing? You know, um, like even, even with your conversion story, it's like it started with you going to church and building, and it's like a that really gradual relationship that's building like, uh, you know, people always like, being an extrovert, I'm like a. I love talking to people, and my introvert friends are saying, "Oh, small talk, it's so boring and meaningless." It's like, yeah, but how do you start a conversation? You don't go in and say, "So, do you believe in aliens?" And then, <laughs> you know, it's like it's a deeper conversation, but like it's like that's not how you go in. And so, yeah, yeah. So it's about having that home base and working on yourself to find that freedom and live it, so then you can take it with you to where you're going. Yeah, and I think a part of that is the home base in the sense of, it doesn't have to be literally a home base in a sense, but it, but it needs to be a place where you, you are, you know, you can be yourself with other believers and you can talk about God and, 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 you, and, you, and you get excited about talking about God and you, mm-hmm. and you enjoy going to Mass and, and just, just that place where you get fed. Now, that can, also, that can be a church community. It can also be a, you know, a, a subset of a church community or whatever, but, but it needs to be a place where, where you are nourished and fed and then you're able to sort of have the strength to kind of, go out a bit more and step outside your comfort zone and get out of the boat and push through a little bit, you know? And, mm. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, we're just also, about hitting... Oh, oh sorry. sorry, say again? No, I was just also think, like, fundamentally, like, don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like, fundamentally, you know, the victory's been won. Yes. So it's not like you don't have to turn it into this massive thing where you're saving the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I tried doing that once; it almost killed me. Um, <laughs> but I think, uh, yeah, we're, we're hitting the hour mark now. And I mean, personally, I could carry on talking about this all night. There's so many more questions I haven't asked you. Um, so maybe if you're okay with it, we might have you back on later in the year, and we can pull this thing a bit further apart. I mean, it is the mission of Evangelion after all. Um, and so for all of you listening, don't forget, check us out, evangelion.co.nz. Go on our Facebook page, like, share, and subscribe. Everything that we put out there because, you know, you might not have the uh, the right words to say to somebody, but someone might be looking at your Facebook page and we might share a really good meme. So uh, maybe even this podcast. Uh, check us out on all your podcasting apps, Curiously Catholic. And uh, yeah, check us out. So uh, thank you very much, Father Matt. It's been really good talking to you. And like I said, we'll definitely get in touch with you and have more conversations like this in the future. Uh, So thank you very much. Great. Great. Thank you very much for having me. Okay. God bless. Bye, everyone. We're going off live now and finished.